Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Her episode is on the phone. Your first sports podcast. It is Wednesday, February 7th, 2024. People, by the way, a week away from Valentine's Day. Guys, pay attention. Anyway, Wednesday, February 7th, 2024. People, loaded show. Uh, One. Do have a quick, quick, quick Super Bowl just thought as we start the Super Bowl week. I will not be there, but I am jealous of everybody who is. From there, I've had a few of you ask me, speaking of football, about Chip Kelly. Like, what is going on? Is he leaving? Is he staying? What the heck? And what the heck is UCLA going to do? So we'll discuss all that. From there, we'll jump to Wednesday College Hoops. You know I got a lot of thoughts on everything we saw on the court on Wednesday. And we'll wrap with a little bit of a new segment. I want to bring in a new segment where rather than doing all these big topics, 17 minutes on this. We do four or five quick topics to wrap the show. Won't be every show, but most shows. Uh, And we talk a little bit about a bunch of different things. So today it'll be Stephen Belichick, Bill Belichick's son coming to college football. This crazy Missouri NIL story. Uh, Rick Petito talking NIL. A lot of different things to kind of wrap the show. So we got ourselves a busy show. We got ourselves a fun show. We got ourselves no more time to waste. So with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, let me me just say this really quickly uh, about the Super Bowl, right? So Super Bowl is Sunday. Um, Look, we'll do our preview on Friday. This is not the kind of show where we're going to come on on a Wednesday and Patrick Mahomes said this at media day. What does it possibly mean? Like, no, that's not what we're going to do. So we'll do our preview on Friday. We're not going to do all the lead up conversation that's just fluffed to get to the big game but as as the media kind of descends upon vegas um i will not be there unfortunately but as the media descends you start to watch your favorite tv shows you see the backdrop you see the videos of the strip and the b-roll and people hanging out and having a good time and it's only going to get crazier as we get closer to the game itself and so i was just thinking again it's not really a topic it's just a thought one i just think it's so cool how Vegas has evolved into not only an event city, but like a a, a city that everybody goes to, but more importantly, a city that all of these sports love to be a part of. And I think it's going to be nothing but good for sports going forward as we have Super Bowls, the Final Four is scheduled there. I believe we'll get some college football playoff games. Nothing but a home run and nothing but good for sports fans, okay? And so for people who um, are maybe new to this show or don't know me, One thing about Torres you need to know. I love Vegas about as much as I love anything, okay? So I am a simple person, simple habits, simple whatever. I love my wife. I love my dog. I love uh, college sports. Other than that, I don't really have very many interests. Um, I I don't hike. 
I don't uh, golf. I don't hunt. I don't ski. I'm not saying I don't do anything outdoors, but that's the way it made it sound. Go to the beach like twice a year. But I bring it up because every person I think in life has the way that they unwind. For guys, it's golfing, it's skiing, it's hunting. For women, it's maybe crochet or, or knitting or whatever you ladies do. I'm not here to, I, I don't know what you do really, to be honest, in your free time. Shop on Amazon. I, I, I don't know. That's, that's what my wife does. Anyway, uh, we're, going, we're going down a path I don't want to go. The point I'm trying to make is for me, don't hike, don't ski, don't golf, whatever. What I do, I'll hop on a flight for 24 hours and go to Vegas. I'll go sit in the sports book. I'll grab a beer. I'll watch the games. I'll make reasonable, responsible bets on whatever game is on. That is how I decompress. That is what I do. That is how I spend my limited free time. And so I bring it up because it's so cool. Because when I first started going to Vegas, I started going to Vegas. 2009 was the first time that I went. And even back then, it was like, Vegas, what do you do? Is it safe? You can't go out after dark. How bad is it? Now, it was never actually like that, but that was the perception. And so to see the perception change 365 degrees, it is incredible. First of all, if you've never been or if you haven't been in a while, it is an amazing city with so much to do. Now, I would recommend going in the summertime when the pools are open. At some point, I'm going to put out a, a, a AT's Guide to Vegas book at some point. But I, I get this perception all the time from people that have never been or haven't been in a while. Well, you know, I mean, Torres, it's not for me. It's just not what I do. I don't gamble. I don't go to clubs. If you have kids in the car, earmuffs. I don't go to strip clubs. That's not what I'm about. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have Vegas is the incredible city that has something for everybody. And I swear this isn't the Vegas Tourism Bureau, but I'm going to get to it full circle. Vegas is a city that has shows. It has great restaurants. It has great people watching. During the spring and fall when it's nice out, you sit on a rooftop bar and you just hang out and listen to music. I've been to a dueling piano bar. I've been to a country music bar. You name it, Vegas has it. And so it's been cool for me to see Vegas evolve from like, again, the first time that I went, like, well, you know, just be careful. Be careful what cab you get into to what it is now and what it has become, which I believe is the best sporting city in the world. It's been getting there. I think it's officially there. Has the NFL now. Has the NHL now. By the way, championship week of college basketball. As of this year, five conference tournaments. Before next year when the Pac-12 dies. But the Pac-12, the Mountain West, the Big West, uh, the WCC, and the WAC all conference tournaments. You can go to all those tournaments. Most of them are pretty cheap. Um, you know, NCAA tournament, that opening weekend, it is just an amazing city. So to see it grow, to see it evolve, to see it become what it has become, and to know that as much fun as it's been the last couple of years, what it is going to be like the next 10 years from now, it's going to be great. And so I, one thing I always try to be aware of I never try to tell you how to spend your money. I know a lot of people have limited funds, limited finances. I get it. We've all uh, been in that situation. I only bring it up to very simply say, if your favorite team, you know, plays in, in, a, in a college basketball game there, a major bowl game, uh, a college football playoff game, if they make the final four, get your butt out there because it's unbelievable. And I just think it's so cool what this city has become even over the last five, six, seven years. And it's become, like I said, just an amazing sports city. So that was Torres's quick take on Vegas. 
as promised, uh, uh, you know, a couple uh, days from now, we will give our official Super Bowl pick. But with that said, let's switch gears. And there is one actual college football topic that I do want to get to. We'll get to some college football stuff at the end of the show as well. Um, but it's interesting. I I've had a few of you ask me, like Taurus, what the heck is going on with Chip Kelly? And so I feel like now is a great time to discuss a little bit of a quieter midweek time. But what we know is this UCLA fans are not happy with Chip Kelly. Many of them wanted him fired after this past season. Uh, Chip Kelly is actively uh, uh, pursuing offensive coordinator jobs in the NFL. I don't know if he'll get one. By the way, credit our Torres on Ohio State account. The kid who runs that Dom is on campus. He said, look, there were rumors Chip Kelly was trying to get the Ohio State offensive coordinator job that went to Bill O'Brien. If Bill O'Brien takes the Boston College job, he could be a candidate there. So the question becomes, I've had so many of you ask me, Torres, straight up, what the heck is going on? And is this as simple as what we talked about last week? That, that guys don't want to coach college football anymore, that it's too crazy, there's too much stuff with NIL, there's too much stuff with Portal, there's too much stuff with collectives. Is that what's going on here? And what I would say is, I certainly don't think it helps, but I think Chip Kelly is the weird, weird, weird situation where it's like a perfect confluence of events. He's probably underachieved a little bit as a coach, but we'll talk about that. Strange fan base that doesn't like him. It's a weird time in college football. He's probably not built for this era. And I think it's leading to this weird moment in time here in early to mid-February where like, we just don't know what the heck is going on, okay? So first of all, let's start with UCLA because UCLA, listen, I live in the LA area. Um, we have a weirdly large UCLA listenership to this show. So I got to be careful how I say this, but UCLA is among the weirdest fan bases I've ever seen. And I'll tell you why it is because they have the same demands and expectations of their programs as most SEC schools, most top big 10 schools. They have competed in the past for national championships in basketball. For sure. They've won a bunch of them. They've had success in football. And they expect the same things that a Tennessee fan does, that a Ohio State fan does, whatever. Maybe Ohio State football is a little bit bigger, but you get the point. And so they have these crazy expectations. But what's different about a UCLA football fan versus an Ohio State football fan, what's different between a UCLA fan and a Kansas fan where the expectations are the same in basketball, it is that UCLA fans do not put their coaches in position to have the success that the other coaches get and the other schools get, and they don't give them the resources to actually compete. Tell you a true story. I don't think it matters now, so I'll just share it. But I remember one time I was talking to Steve Alford when he was the UCLA basketball coach. Remember, he was there before Mick Cronin. And I told him, I said, Coach, you have the toughest job in college basketball. And I said, this wasn't his words, they're mine. I said, you have the same expectations of Kansas and Carolina and Duke, Kentucky, Indiana, but you don't get the same resources and finances and everything that they get. I don't know if people know this. You know that UCLA opened a basket, their, their first basketball facility opened about six years ago. Grand Canyon had a basketball only practice facility before UCLA did. San Diego State had a basketball only practice facility before UCLA did. I'm pretty sure the entire SEC did and the entire Big Ten minus the teams that are joining. But beyond that, what's weird about UCLA fans is if you're not performing, they're just not going to show up. 
And I don't really blame them. When I say weird, that's not a bad thing. But if you don't perform, people in LA, there's too much traffic. It's too hard to get to games. They're just not going to do it. And so that's what I told Steve Alford. I said, like, look, dude, I go, Rupp Arena. It, it, Kentucky, it, like when Billy Gillespie got fired at Kentucky, there were like 22,000 people showing up every night to boom, but they still showed up. That won't happen at UCLA. If you're not good, they just won't show up. So you'll have 3,000 people in the building booing you. But at least in Kentucky, you get a full house. Indiana, you get a full house, et cetera. So I told him, I said, it's just a really, really tough place to play. And I think that's a lot of what Chip Kelly is going through. Personally, I think in the modern era, he went nine and three last regular season, seven and five this year, eight and five with a bowl game. So nine wins last year, eight wins this year. That's 17 wins. That's about as good as I think it can get for UCLA in the modern era. I don't think it's getting easier when you go to the Big Ten. But I also will say this. I blame some on the UCLA fans, but some of it is Chip Kelly too. First of all, remember, he came in with a lot of pomp, a lot of circumstance. Remember, Florida wanted him. He almost chose Florida over UCLA, instead decides to stick with UCLA. Why I bring it up? First few years, he's like, I'm doing it my way. We're taking our time. We're building this the right way. That's fine. They were essentially terrible for the first three years. First three years, he wasn't even trying to win. But beyond that, kind of what I just said is kind of his own downfall. Is what did I just say about UCLA? I said, if you're not good, they won't show up. And this is a market. Part of it is on the coach. And what I will say is they keep missing on this when they hire coaches. But part of it is on the coach to go out and create interest in his or her own program. No, who was the best at that? Steve Lavin back in the day. I mean, I, I Steve Lavin lasted about three years longer than he should just because everybody liked him. He was out in the community. He was shaking hands. He was kissing babies. He was, you know, whatever. And that's not who Chip Kelly is. Like, I live in LA, and I can honestly tell you, I don't know of any single media thing that Chip Kelly has done outside of the stuff that is required by the school or the Pac-12 or the NCAA. Now, every once in a while, he has national people that he likes, a Colin Cowherd, a Joel Klatt, but he's not showing up to do local radio. He's not showing up to whatever. Like even Mick Cronin, I'll give Mick Cronin credit. Mick Cronin goes on local radio, AM 570 every single week with Petros and Money, which is the biggest radio show in LA. No, I'm nerding out a little bit, but it proves like you have to be out there. You have to hype up the program. Like, you know what kind of coach you need? You need a guy like Eric Musselman, okay? Now, Muss, you know, there's all sorts of stuff what's going on at Arkansas. People are saying, is he going to leave Arkansas? We'll discuss that another day. I don't think it'll be for UCLA because Mick Cronin's buyout is insane. But that's the kind of person that you need. Somebody that's going to hype, talk, tweet, get people excited. And that's not who Chip Kelly is. So when you add in the fan base doesn't really like him, when you add in that he's not really the perfect fit, and then you add in the NIL portal stuff, I think it's all led to where we are now, which is this weird situation where it feels like it's sort of going to come to an end here very soon. And not only that, but that he's actively trying to get out. Don't think he minds the portal so much, but I do think the NIL is not really his cup of tea. And so we now live in a world where, you know, basically a coach's entire job, re-recruiting your roster, raising money, creating interest in your program. Those are like the things that Chip Kelly does the worst. And so because of it, I, I do just wonder if this is the time for him to get out. And it appears as though he seems to think it's the time to get out. Fans kind of want him gone. Now he's pursuing NFL offensive coordinator jobs. And as I said, if somehow, some way, 
he doesn't get an NFL job, but Bill O'Brien leaves for Boston College. I think it's conceivable that he goes and tries to get the use or the Ohio State offensive coordinator job instead. Now, what I will say, we'll see what happens next. One, it would certainly be interesting to see what will happen at UCLA if he comes back after openly pursuing other jobs. If he doesn't get anything better and he's forced to come back. Because as I said, UCLA fans aren't eager to, to spend money on a product they don't believe in. And now they know that you want to be gone. They know that you aren't putting your best foot forward. I think we could see pretty bad attendance at the Rose Bowl next year. Now, the good news is obviously UCLA's in the Big Ten. So a lot of those fan bases are going to b- bring fans with them. I'm going to look at their football schedule really quick because I'm curious uh, as to who would be coming to the Rose Bowl next year. Let's take a quick look here as I do this. This is bad radio. Good news for UCLA. They will have some pretty, you know, to quote uh, Larry David, some pretty, pretty, pretty big uh, uh, home games. Indiana in week two, they'll probably bring some fans. Oregon will certainly bring plenty of fans. Minnesota, Iowa, USC late in the year. I'll say this. That's actually about the worst case scenario for for a home schedule. Oregon's always going to bring fans, but but outside of Iowa, I don't see any of those fan bases that are going to travel like 30,000 deep. Like if you could have gotten Wisconsin, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, you only got Iowa. So anyway, I'm going off on a tangent here, but you have on the one hand, what happens if he doesn't come back? But on the other hand, which is just as interesting, or what what happens if he does come back? What's as interesting is what happens if he doesn't come back? Like what happens if he does get one of these jobs? What happens if you wake up or you're listening to this show? And he gets a job. I don't know what UCLA will do. That to me is the most interesting part of all of this is like, what if he actually gets a job and leaves UCLA? Now, Martin Jarman, the AD is really smart. I know him a little bit. I certainly like him. Um, And what I would say about it is I know Martin Jarman has a list in his desk of guys to call very plugged in guy. Martin Jarman came from the Gene Smith, Ohio state AD tree. So he's going to have guys to to, to, to plug in uh, into his Rolodex. Same time, though, who is the guy? Like, I was try- I was literally trying to think, like, if, if Chip Kelly left, who would be the next head coach? I can't think of any good names. And what's wild, and I know UCLA fans know this, the two best candidates took other jobs in the Big Ten this offseason. Jonathan Smith from Oregon State is from Pasadena, right down the road from the Rose Bowl. Took the Michigan State job. Tough to get out of that contract. Um, Jed Fish, we'll talk about him later. He hired Steven Belichick as the uh, defensive coordinator. He took the Washington job. Jed Fish has a lot of ties to LA. So I don't even know what UCLA would do, but this is one of the wildest situations I've ever seen. A coach actively looking at other jobs this late in the process, clearly trying to stick it to his fan base. The fan base kind of stuck in the weeds. The poor AD is kind of stuck in the weeds. Just a crazy, crazy, crazy deal. It's crazy. So what we're going to do, take a quick break, come back. When we come back, we will talk a little bit of Tuesday night college hoops. Busy night, a lot to react to. Quick break, be right back. All right, everybody, I'm back. Good to be back, good to be back. I do want to switch gears. Want to go ahead and talk a little bit of college hoops. Now, it's interesting because coming off that incredible weekend on Saturday and Sunday, We had Duke, Carolina, Houston, Kansas, Kentucky, Tennessee. Sunday, we had a fun Purdue-Wisconsin game. Even games like UConn-St. John's were really entertaining. 
bluntly, there aren't a lot of like super marquee matchups throughout this week in college basketball. And so despite it, do still kind of want to talk about what happened on Tuesday night and even a little bit on Monday. And again, these aren't going to be the big like nine minute rants. I know this is like a theme of today's show. Like we're, we're going a little short, a little quick, a little to the point, whatever. So I just want to kind of recap some stuff that happened over the last couple of days and just talk about kind of what's going on in college hoops as a whole. Again, both Tuesday night and then one result. You could probably guess which one on Monday night as well. In terms of Tuesday night, not a lot of marquee matchups. Only top 25 matchup that I'm aware of was, was Baylor and Texas Tech. We'll get to that in a minute. But there was one noteworthy result as North Carolina, just a few days after Torres told you they might be the second best team in the country behind UConn, they actually lost at home to Clemson, final score 80-76. to Now, for people who don't know the history of this game, kind of incredible. So these are two of the founding members of the ACC. They've basically been playing home and away essentially since the conference began. Yet, do you know that Clemson had never won at North Carolina until 2020? They have now won twice in five years to improve to two, and I believe the stat is two and 60 overall in Chapel Hill. Now, in terms of the game itself, listen, I could do the whole thing about what's wrong with Carolina and how worried should we be? This isn't college football. One loss doesn't impact anything. And so for Carolina, they're going to be fine. I think they're going to win the ACC regular season. I think they're going to end up with a number one seed probably. And so to me, the real story here isn't about Carolina uh, losing. I think it's actually about Clemson getting the win. One thing we don't do on this show, we don't do like a ton of bracketology and well, this this is a quad one this and a quad three that and this moves them from the six line to the five back to you. Like we don't do that. It's corny. It's lame. Jo By the way, there are people that are really good at it. Like Joe Lenardi's awesome at it. Okay. So I'm not criticizing people who do it, but I don't think for a show like this, it makes for the sexiest content. But what I will say for Clemson, this to me is more about a big win for Clemson then it is a bad loss for North Carolina because for Clemson, again, we don't do a ton of bracketology, but they were kind of teetering on the fringes of the bubble. They get a marquee win and it's, it, it's very far from saying this has locked them into the NCAA tournament, but this is the kind of win that you absolutely need this time of year. Now, Clemson's kind of an interesting team from a college basketball perspective because they actually had a very good out-of-conference, uh, including, by the way, win at Alabama, which Alabama might end up winning the SEC, and then a win over South Carolina, which is all of a sudden awesome. South Carolina improved to 20-3 and with a win over Ole Miss over the weekend. So they had a great out-of-conference resume. They struggled in conference, started 1-3 in league play. And so for Clemson, Again, it's more about getting a good win as opposed to it is North Carolina taking a loss. Again, North Carolina is going to be fine. But for Clemson, this was crucial because there bluntly just aren't a lot of good wins to be had in the ACC. I've talked on this show quite a bit about how all of these power conferences has, for the most part, the curve has been flattened in the Big 12, in the SEC, in the Big East. There are no easy games. That ain't the case in the ACC. There are a lot of bad teams in that league. And so for Clemson to get this win, to add on its resume, it's nothing but a good thing. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about Clemson, but I think it's important to know. For them going forward, what their tournament resume basically boils down to. For a Clemson fan listening, what it comes down to, are you going to make the tournament, are you not? What it really boils down to is 
you can't lose bad games because that's the thing about the ACC. There are more bad losses to take in that conference than great wins. And so for Clemson, you look at the rest of their schedule. They've already played Carolina twice. They do still have uh, basically no, like no real marquee games. They've already played Carolina twice. They played at Duke where they lost by one point. They, they, they played Virginia where they lost by one point. And so one, as I've said seven times now, this is a crucial win, but now it's more kind of about holding serve. They have two games against Syracuse, which is not a very good team right now. They have a game against Georgia Tech, not very good. They have a game against Pitt, not very good. Those are the games that you have to win. So Clemson, if they make the tournament, we'll talk about them, but great win for them. Super marquee. They'll probably move up to a 6-7 seed in the next Lenardi bracketology, but this game was all about getting a great win. Now they have to hold on and make sure to avoid any bad losses. Other teams that were in action on Tuesday night. As a matter of fact, before we get back to Tuesday, let's go to Monday really quick because there was one result that was worth noting as Kansas goes to Kansas State and loses in overtime. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this game, but listen, this Kansas thing, like it is officially, I've been telling you about Kansas here for what? Three, four weeks now. They are very limited in who they are and what they do. You look at Kansas, when they leave Lawrence, they're frankly, they're not a very good basketball team. They lost at Central Florida. They lost at West Virginia. They probably, frankly, should have lost at West. They probably, frankly, should have lost in Indiana. Well, now they take a loss at Kansas State, and there's nothing else to say other than that when you remove this team from Fog Allen Fieldhouse, they are imminently beatable. And so I'm not going to do the whole rant. They're the worst team ever. That's not what I'm going to do. But what I am going to say is we start to look towards the bigger picture of March and of the season ahead. This is a team that I would be selling all my stock on. I think Bill Self's the best coach in college basketball. Top to bottom, I know I said Dan Hurley is the best right now. If I was building a program right now, I'd hire Dan Hurley. Nate Oates would probably be number two. But Bill Self is still the best. Bill Self's in his 60s, though. That's the difference. He's only around for you know another six, seven years, at probably at most. But he's still the best coach in college basketball. But I, I just I can't get behind the idea that this team is elite. This is now another loss on the road. Lost at a bad West Virginia team, a bad Central Florida team, a bad Kansas State team. They're not playing very well right now. And they should have lost at Indiana. Kansas is good. Kansas isn't great. They take a loss. We'll see if they can bounce back later this week. But talk about teams that I'm selling stock on. Kansas is absolutely one. Beyond that, let's go back to Tuesday. A couple kind of marquee wins. One, UConn takes care of business at home against uh, against Butler. I don't think there's like a super sexy narrative that comes out of this game. Uh, UConn, listen, great teams. You know, what's the say, what's saying? Good teams win, great teams cover all that. I'm not going to go ahead and say that about UConn. But what I will say is that when I look at the Huskies, um, you know, this is just one of those games. You just got to win it. Um, you know, you, you, you look at UConn, they're dominating everybody. They actually play at Georgetown at DePaul next. So they probably have two more wins in them before the competition gets really tough. They still got a lot of tough games left on the schedule. Two games against Marquette, at Providence, at Creighton. And so for UConn, you you just got to win these games. They are, in my opinion, the best team in the country. And what it speaks to is to win in a game where you don't play your best basketball. 20 points for Cam Spencer, uh, 18 for Donovan Klingon. 
You get a win in a game that wasn't perfect. By the way, worth noting, Alex Caravan, who set out the, the St. John's game, he was back. Good news for UConn. Really quickly, some other results. Kentucky was on a two-game losing streak. You know what fixes a losing streak in the SEC? Go play Vanderbilt. Kentucky beats Vanderbilt 109 to 77. 109 points for the Wildcats against the Commodores. Listen, you know, this was the magic elixir. This is what Kentucky needed. Um, you know, it, it was they were they were awesome. I mean, there's nothing else to say other than that they were absolutely awesome. And this is the kind of game that you need if you are the Kentucky Wildcats. Thought it was good. Thought, first of all, Rob Dillingham is unbelievable, okay? Um, they shot the crap out of the ball. By the way, my computer's malfunctioning, so I can't pull up any stats. So if you're like, Torres is mailing in this segment, I just can't like pull up a, you know, a stat sheet or a box score to kind of see everything that happened. But Dillingham was incredible in this game. On top of that, um, you know, I thought Big Z played very well. I think Big Z needs to play more. People are freaking, oh, he doesn't play defense. Like nobody on that team plays defense. Put Big Z in. Free Big Z. So Kentucky gets the win. Really nice. Really important against Vanderbilt. You had to come in and kick butt in this game. They do. Two games this week that are that are really big over the next five, six days. They play Gonzaga at home on Saturday. Listen, Gonzaga, whatever they were three, four years ago, they're not the same team right now. I don't know if Gonzaga is an NCAA tournament team. That is an absolute must-win game for Kentucky, and I'll take it a step further. It's sort of like if Gonzaga wants to be a tournament team, it's kind of a must-win game for Gonzaga as well. So Gonzaga, we'll see if they can get the win. Um, or excuse me, we'll see if Kentucky can get the win on Saturday, but they play Gonzaga on Saturday. They play Ole Miss at home. Remember, Ole Miss is coached by Chris Beard. They got to go 2-0 and in that week. And as long as they go 2-0, and I think they're going to be fine. Um, I'm not as worried about Kentucky as everybody else. I do understand the frustration coming out of the weekend. I understand any Kentucky fan that was like, I need to see a better effort than what we got on Saturday against Tennessee, especially on the defensive end. But listen, I know they were on a two-game losing streak coming into tonight, or coming into Tuesday night, excuse me. But if they had just fouled up three against Florida, they'd probably win that game. They're probably a game back in the standings in the SEC, and it really isn't that bad. Kentucky dominates. Kentucky gets the win. The only other note that I really do want to get to from Wednesday night in College Hoops, uh, I thought this was a very interesting score, okay? So Ohio State, we haven't talked much Ohio State basketball on this show. Ohio State plays Indiana at home. They are up 18 points in the second half. And they end up losing to Indiana 76 to 73 is the final score as Indiana comes back and gets the win. Let's get a couple things straight here. First of all, Everybody knows I'm a Mike F. and Woodson guy, but Indiana is not very good right now. Indiana is 14 to nine overall, even with the win. And they are sitting right now at six and six in the big 10. By the way, Indiana was coming off a destruction by Penn state at home on Saturday. Okay. But to me, this is more about Ohio state with the loss. Ohio state falls to 13 and 10 and three and nine in the big 10. So I like Chris Holtman. I think he's a good guy. I've had a few interactions with him. He's always been very kind, very respectful, very whatever. But it is so obvious that it is not working out. And I actually had an interesting thought. Rather than just talk about Ohio State, I think it's actually worth noting uh, with some with, with something else. 
is that as Ohio State struggles and Michigan struggles, I think we could see a scenario. Everyone's focused on the Louisville coaching job. Is Louisville going to open up this offseason? It's going to. Who's going to be the candidates? But I think we could have two very good jobs under very unique circumstances open up in the Big Ten. Ohio State is currently 13 and 10, 3 and 9 in the league, and Michigan is 7 and 15, 2 and 9 in the league. And so you talk about Ohio State, Michigan, dominating on the football field. On the basketball court, not so much. And I think we're going to be see a very unique situation. I'm not sold that either coach gets fired, but I think we could have both those jobs open up this offseason. I think both those are marquee elite college hoops basketball jobs. Okay. So first of all, what do I mean when I say neither is going to get fired? Well, listen, Chris Holtman, for whatever reason, it just has not worked at Ohio State, especially of late. Um, you know, first two, first, first five seasons. One, the season is canceled because of COVID in 2021. But the first five seasons, he does make the NCAA tournament uh, in, in, in all four where the tournament is played. The problem is it was kind of the same thing every single year. You start out hot and you kind of fall apart late. Last uh, uh, two seasons ago, or really three seasons ago, excuse me, 2021, remember they were a two seed. They lost in the opening round to Oral Roberts. 2022, they lose in the first weekend. And so this is an Ohio State program that under Chris Holtman has not made it out of the first weekend. He's been there since 2018, okay? But then the last two years, 16 and 19 last year, 13 and nine this year, but again, or 13 and 10 this year, but again, three and nine in the Big Ten. Now, what'll be interesting, I don't think he's the kind of guy that won't be able to get another head coaching opportunity. Now, I'm not smart enough to know where it is, what the opportunity is, but I could see the scenario where he ends up finding another job elsewhere. I just don't think it works for him at Ohio State. I don't know if it's him. I don't know if it's the program. I don't know whatever. I mean, the school obviously does a great job supporting all of its athletic department, all of its athletic teams, but the combination of him, his struggles, it's worth noting, by the way, a new AD at Ohio State. Ross Bjork comes from Texas A&M. He was at, or he was at Texas A&M replacing Gene Smith. So the guy that Chris Holtman, who had his back, is now gone. And I think he could be out because Ohio State is not very good right now. The crazy thing about Ohio State, too, is as I said, they started out really well in the preseason. Beat Alabama early in the year, as a matter of fact. Had a couple nice wins, beat UCLA on a neutral, beat Rutgers early in Big, East, Big Ten play, but they just have not been able to get going. And so at a certain point, we'll talk about coaching candidates, etc. I think it's a really good job, though. Ohio historically has a lot of really good basketball talent in the high school ranks. Now, I know it's a new world with prep schools and this and that, but a lot of talented players in the Ohio area. Clearly, by the way, as we've learned with Ryan Day this offseason, they're willing to invest in NIL. That's not a criticism. That's just a fact. And then Michigan. Michigan did not play Tuesday night. Michigan is really bad. Michigan overall is 7-15, and 2-9. and nine. And what is indisputable about the Juwan Howard regime is that as John Beeline's players have left, things have just flat out gotten worse, okay? So John Beeline's players are there for him in year one. That was the 2020 season. The season is canceled because of COVID. 2021 was the year where it all came together. Bunch of players were coming back. Franz Wagner was coming back. Uh, Isaiah Livers, if you remember that name. Eli Brooks, if you remember that name. Plus you add in Hunter Dickinson as a freshman. Chandy Brown, 
I'm dropping all sorts of names here. Michigan fans must love this. Um, and it clicks. And Michigan wins the Big Ten regular season. That was the year, by the way, that Juwan Howard, uh, it was COVID, no fans in the stands. But if you remember, he wins the Big Ten. He's crying on the court. It was an incredible moment. Um, make the Elite Eight, but obviously don't can't, can't get to a Final Four from there. And then it just completely falls apart. 19 and 15 the year after. They do sneak into the tournament, get hot, make the Sweet 16. Last year with two first-round picks, remember. 18 and 16, this year 17 and 15. So with Juwan Howard, listen, he's a Michigan legend. There is no way they are firing him at Michigan. My guess is, especially by the way, his son is a senior on that team. My guess would be um, that he, he probably decides to look for an NBA opportunity. Remember, he came from the NBA. Um, I think he could probably get an assistant coaching job. By the way, his son is a junior, apparently, but a fourth-year junior. So fourth-year junior, um, you know, whatever. I think Juwan Howard is done after this year. And then it'll set up two very interesting coaching, coaching situations because when I do look at this team, I do see another job that I think is very, everybody, you know, there's been a lot of people that have had success there. John Beeline, Steve Fisher, Juwan Howard early on. You can win basketball games at Michigan. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens there. I just want to do, take a quick break. Come back. When we come back, that's enough college hoops for today. We're going to switch gears. And what we're going to do, we're going to go ahead and do a new segment. Hit on a couple last minute topics that maybe we wouldn't get to otherwise. Fun segment ahead. Quick break. Be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. Do want to go ahead and wrap uh, with a little bit of a new segment here on the Aaron Torres pod. Let me explain what we're going to do. So obviously, look, there are busy times of year on this show. And there are obviously times of year that are a little bit slower. Okay. Uh, Mondays in October, in the heart of college football season, we can do an hour and a half of content and not even blink. But now you get to February, not quite, you know, the, the, the craziness of March and there's not as much going on, but also what ends up happening, what I've noticed the last few weeks, there's a lot of really interesting stuff that I don't know needs like the eight, 10, 12, 15 minute Torres yelling and screaming rant. But I do find it interesting, and I just kind of want to get to a couple topics that we might not get to otherwise. So we're going to start this new segment. It's going to wrap most shows. Now, Friday, we'll still keep Aaron right, Aaron wrong. But I, I we're going to wrap the shows, especially middle of the week, with a segment that I like to call, we're going to call, The Last Call. Got a little bit of a bar vibe to it, a little bit loose, a little bit fun. And I envision these stories as, again, maybe something that I don't have 15 minutes on. Maybe they're a little bit loose, a little bit fun. But let's go ahead and dive into a couple. We'll get to three, four, five of them every episode. Let's get to the first ever edition of The Last Call here on the Aaron Torres Pod. First story. Did you see the latest hire for the Washington football coaching staff? Okay, so obviously, look, Washington football, we've talked about it. Jed Fish is the head coach. I was surprised he left Arizona. Thought he should have stayed, tried to win a Big 12 title, but it's his life. It's his prerogative. He's making a lot of money. It's hard for me to criticize too much more. But at the same time, I hadn't really given much thought to what Jed Fish had done since then, at least until Monday when we found out who his first defensive coordinator will be. That is because on Monday, we found out that Steven Belichick, yes, the son of Bill Belichick, will be Washington's first defensive coordinator. 
And this is the perfect example of the type of topic that I want to get to uh, here in the last call, because I don't know that I have like 14 minutes of great Steven Belichick content, but I do got a take on it. I do have something to say. And that is this. I freaking love this. And it has nothing really to do with football. Now, listen, as far as the football part is concerned, Steven Belichick probably will be very good. Um, you know, listen, he, his dad is the greatest defensive mind in the history of the sport. He's obviously worked with him hand in hand for quite some time. Certainly think it'll be interesting on the recruiting trail. Maybe we discuss that momentarily, but why I love it is for this reason. I was thinking about this. How many coordinators at any level would you argue have a brand like a brand? Um, there's not very many, right? Maybe like Cliff Kingsbury when he was a coordinator, and I know he's a coordinator now, I guess, technical by technicality. But, you know, Bill O'Brien doesn't have a brand. Um, you know, <laughs> Alex Grinch, when he was a coordinator, does it like like co- coordinators don't have brands. Well, you know who has a brand? Steven freaking Belichick has a brand. He does the faces on the sidelines. He's got the mullet. Um, his brand. I don't know how to say this delicately. Seems like a little bit of a weirdo. No, I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to criticize. I'm just saying what I see. And so this is why I love this, because it gives us one more thing to talk about on a college football Saturday. It gives us one more thing in a game that we might not otherwise watch to just go ahead and tune in and just see like, hey, is is little Belichick going to do anything crazy today? Is Bill Belichick, is little Belichick going to make any weird faces? Is he going to make any weird gestures? Is he going to make any weird this? Is he going to do anything crazy? I don't know, but I'll probably tune in to watch because here's the bottom line. Washington probably isn't going to be very good next year, okay? It's not a jet fish thing. I'm not anti jet fish. They just lost a lot off of a team that just played for a national championship. And so if they're not very good, you at least want to be interesting. And I tend to think if Steven Belichick is on the sidelines, I'm at least going to tune in. Probably not going to sit there for, for four quarters of Washington, uh, Illinois. Cause remember they're going to the big 10 next year, Washington, Michigan state, Washington, whoever, but will I tune in for four or five minutes to see if I can get a peek of Belichick, see if he's doing anything crazy. Absolutely. So we'll see if the football side works. As I said, the recruiting side, I think will be interesting. Can't really imagine Steven Belichick based on what I've seen, you know, walking into an, a 17 year old kid's home and wooing mom and dad, putting the charm on mom, shaking dad's hand and looking him in the eye. But it's interesting. I'm in the interesting business and I'm excited to see how this turns out. Let's get to another story that I thought was very, this is a story that was very interesting. Did you see on Tuesday, well, it was really Monday into Tuesday. Did you see what happened with Missouri Athletics? Missouri Athletics got an insane contribution to their athletic department in total 68 or 62. Let me make sure I got the numbers right here. Missouri Athletics got a one-time donation of 60. $2 million. Sound like Dr. Evil. $62 million to Missouri Athletics. $50 million are going to a stadium renovation. $12 million are going to the teams. Wink, wink. Probably mostly going to NIL. And I'll tell you, I do think this one made a little bit of shockwaves across college sports because of the number, because of the money, and because of the fact that some of that money is going directly to the players. And by the way, those are the rules. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it certainly caught everybody's attention. First off, the number is staggering, okay? 62 million total, 50 million in renovations, 12 million to the general fund, okay? But I saw this. 
That $62 million is more than the last two years' donations combined. That is insane in and of itself. The $12 million to basically fund NIL, if that's where Missouri puts it, that is insane as well. First off, you read reports, you talk to people in the know, kind of in that NIL space, they'll tell you about 12 to $15 million is what it takes to build a championship-level football team to get elite players, retain the players you want, and then bring in elite recruits behind them. And so, listen, Missouri might not quite be there yet. I think they're going to be pretty good going into next year. I have them in my preseason top 10. But at the same time, it certainly ain't going to help them, or it certainly ain't going to hurt them in retaining the players they want um, and, frankly, bringing in maybe even some new players in the spring portal, things like that. Beyond that, and we've actually talked about this a little bit, I think Missouri is uniquely built to have a ton of success in this post-NIL world. We've talked about this, but it is worth noting. Missouri has maybe the most unique state law uh, as it pertains to NIL. And I bring it up because I I think when we think NIL, we think Miami or Texas or Texas A&M. Missouri might be positioned to be as good as any of them. Because remember, every state has its own laws. And Missouri has the most unique law on the board. That law, which we talked about when five-star Ryan Wingo was down to Texas and Missouri. Ryan Wingo was a five-star wide receiver in this previous recruiting class. He ended up choosing Texas. But we talked about the fact that Missouri's law is fascinating. The law is as follows. High school recruits in the state of Missouri can get NIL as long as and only if they sign with a state school, okay? So think about that. So some, so, so think about, first of all, this is why NIL drives coaches crazy, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, is that 50 different states have 50 different laws. Some states, you can't pay high school players at all. Remember, that's why Quinn Ewers ended up reclassifying and coming to college football a year early. He's like, I'm leaving seven figures on the table by not coming to college. Texas at the time, I don't know if it's changed, did not have NIL with their high school players. Other states, you're allowed to pay high school players. Missouri, you're only allowed to pay high school players if they sign with the in-state school. And it's it's worth noting, as soon as they sign, they can collect NIL. So you're a high school basketball star in the state of Missouri. You commit to Missouri. You sign in November. They could drop a check. They could drop a direct deposit that day. And so it's a unique law. And now they have the money to back it up. And so it's a really interesting time. This is a very interesting story. And I think Missouri is kind of uniquely built to have a lot of success in this future iteration of the SEC, both in football and in basketball. Now, again, we don't know if all this money is going to go to football. Maybe some of it goes to the Olympic sports. But my guess is a lot of it is going to go to football. And when I look at the future of the SEC, listen, I think it's going to be tough to crack that upper, upper, upper tier, except for three or four schools, Texas, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, maybe Oklahoma, whatever. But you talk about that next group that can consistently be knocking on the door, that can consistently finish every year or two, you know, every two, three years in the top two or three and potentially end up in that 12-team college football playoff. Missouri was already well-positioned, but this NIL stuff really helps. Now a bag just got dropped, $12 million to the Missouri Athletic Department just for NIL. Again, $50 million for football renovations as well. So 
Enjoy that if you're a Missouri fan. But I think the $12 million, uh, 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 $12 million money, that's a lot of money, and it can go a long way in the NIL world. Speaking of NIL, was an interesting NIL conversation that came out on Tuesday. Did you see what Rick Patino, Big Rick Energy, my guy, Big Rick Energy, Rick Patino tweeted about the state of NIL? So he went on his social media and he said this. This is what he tweeted. He said, for basketball, have the power five. Let me actually see if I can pull up the whole tweet. I just kind of copied and pasted it. Give me half a second here. I want to see if I can pull up Big Rick Energy, Rick Patino's tweets on NIL. Really quickly, let's see if I can grab them. Bad radio, bad radio, bad radio. This is called vamping in the business. Here we go. All right, so Rick Patino. This is from his Twitter account. Okay, this is what he said. He said, okay, we all want solutions to preserve our great game. Today, I'm going to suggest solution one. For basketball, have the Power Five and Big East Conference commissioners get together and create a salary cap between one and a half and $2 million. All contracts delivered to the league and school offices. All other conferences establish their own salary cap. I would never exclude anyone from the NCAA tournament. Obviously, football is different, sport entirely, and some of their talent makes more NFL players more solutions to follow in the coming days. All right. So, um, very interesting from Rick Patino. And basically, you know, first of all, I give Rick Patino credit, okay? Because Rick Patino, um, it is very clear. Like Rick Patino basically was left for dead by the NCA about five, six years ago with all the, the the stuff that happened at Louisville, Brian Bowen, et cetera, FBI. He has survived because he's big Rick energy. Of course he survived. And now he is just in zero F's mode given, like zero F's given mode. Okay. Just does not care. After the UConn game on Saturday, he basically said, we can't do it like this. The way it's going, it's impossible to build culture. We need to figure this out. Now on Tuesday, he's calling for a salary cap. Now, what I will say about Rick Pitino's thoughts very quickly, um, you know, I, I say often, there's a difference between what could happen, what should happen, and what will happen. And what I would say to that is what Rick Pitino suggested is what I think a lot of coaches would like to happen, what should happen if you ask most coaches. I have yet to talk to a coach that is anti-NIL. Bruce Pearl talked about it on this show about last week, about a week ago exactly, as a matter of fact, where he basically said, I'm not anti-NIL, but we have to have some consistency, some level of accountability, right? Um, And that's what Rick Pitino is suggesting, a salary cap where everybody's contract is submitted to the school. So you don't have this wild, wild west where a kid is offered something or even worse. And I think this is the part that drives coaches crazy, where a kid says he's offered something and he's trying to jack up the price on you. Just as an example, let's say you got a superstar player, okay? Or let's let's not even say superstar. Let's say like a middle of the road player, basketball, football, whatever. And let's just give a nice round number. Say he's making 50K a year in NIL from the collective, okay? And let's say he comes to you after the season and he was good, he was okay, but he wasn't great, but you know he's going to get there. And he says, coach, I just got offered 250K from somewhere else. And if you don't match that 250K, I'm out. Now, the coach has three choices. You can just pay him. You cannot, or, or you can, I guess it's two, really. You could pay him or not pay him and call his bluff, okay? And so what Rick Pitino is saying is, look, we'll pay a kid whatever the market value is, but we can't have kids coming to us and lying, and are they really worth it? We need something on paper. I've said it many times. Imagine 
Patrick Mahomes is a free agent. And imagine we know what, and imagine we don't know what Josh Allen's contract is or Justin Herbert's contract is. And Patrick Mahomes just makes up a number. Now, he's already the highest paid quarterback in the league, but like there's a salary structure in the NFL that we all know about. So I don't hate it. As I said, there's there's what could happen, what should happen, what will happen. The problem is, and I'm not a lawyer, but I did text a lawyer when I saw this tweet. Um, A lawyer buddy of mine basically said, yeah, you can't really do that. That violates antitrust laws. If they're not an employee of the school or not an employee in general, you can't limit their ability to earn, you know, what they're earning limitations, basically they're earning potential. And so that is why, as we discussed on Monday show, I think we're getting to a point very soon where at the very least football players and probably men's basketball as well, they're going to be employees of the school. They're going to have their own union, collective bargaining. They're probably going to piece of the uh, revenue from TV. That way, by the way, boosters, you're not going to have to pay the collectives. So we'll see what happens. But until that happens, you can't have a salary cap. Now, once that happens, once it's all collectively bargained, you can say, hey, a fifth-year senior can make up to this much. A fourth-year senior can make up to this much. A true freshman can only make this much. But until then, there's not really much you could do. It's annoying. It's frustrating. Rick Pitino is clearly annoyed. And I don't think his idea is that bad. Just legally, it can't happen. Two more stories we'll get out of here. The first one, interesting story. You see Kendall Jenner? was in Tuscaloosa, Alabama on Wednesday, or Tuesday afternoon pouring shots of tequila. So this one, she uh, uh, Kendall Jenner owns a tequila company, 818 Tequila. And basically, I, I guess they're doing a grassroots uh, tour here. And she was in Tuscaloosa at a bar at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. That's what the p.m. is, uh, you know, whatever. And she was pouring shots. This is one, not only do I not have a huge take on it, I don't think I have more than 30 seconds. One, I think it's really cool. Two, do think it kind of sucks if you're an Alabama student. Kendall Jenner's in town. She shows up at 2 p.m. Eastern time. He could have showed up at 10, Kendall. Could have showed up tomorrow for the Auburn football or the Auburn basketball game. So it's an interesting story, but she was there. Apparently, by the way, she is going to Athens on Wednesday night. As I record here, we have not yet seen her there. It's kind of interesting, right? Alabama first, Georgia second. Kendall Jenner's bar tour just like it was um, on the football field this year when Alabama finished ahead of Georgia. Interesting. Sorry, Georgia fans, it's true. All right, finally, before we get out of here, we did start the show with the NFL. We'll wrap. Uh, and Roger Goodell, on whatever day it was, Monday, kind of did his NFL State of the Union address. And the big thing that kind of came out, I thought this was very interesting. The NFL will have an opening week game. So remember, the NFL opens the season that that first Thursday reigning Super Bowl champs against whoever. They will now have a game on that Friday to open the 2024 season. And it will be in, how about this? It'll be in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Okay? So the NFL taking over Friday and the NFL going international again to Brazil. And why I find this interesting, I'll say this. So I am a business owner. I own the Aaron Torres podcast. I own the Aaron Torres pod YouTube channel. I own all of our merchandise, da, 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 this and that. So I love these business related stories. And I just am fascinated by the business of the NFL. Because I know people love to make fun of Roger Goodell. And he's the worst commissioner ever. Actually, Adam Silver is pretty bad. Uh, Roger Goodell, all he does is make money and expand the NFL footprint and get this thing bigger and bigger and bigger. And so the idea they're playing a game in Brazil is insane to me. And it shows you the reach of the NFL. 
They've they've owned Europe forever. Now owned is relative, but you know they have six seven games in London every year. They're all sellouts. Um, Mexico, believe it or not, there is a huge group of NFL fans in the country of Mexico. One of my buddies from college is from Mexico originally, and he'll say he's like, dude, you don't understand how many people love NFL football in Mexico. Is it bigger than soccer? No, of course not, but it's pretty freaking big. Now they're going to Brazil. What I find even more interesting, though, is the idea that they're taking over that first Friday of the season. So one, we're going to get NFL football Thursday, Friday, then Sunday, Monday, and obviously in the middle will be a major college football Saturday, week two. What's especially interesting to me, though, the NFL is just coming for everything, right? Think about the NFL, where we're at, even from where we were like seven, eight years ago. So remember when it was a big deal that the NFL was going to play every Thursday night? For people who are under the age of like 20 listening to this show, uh, it used to be the NFL played every Sunday and they owned Monday night as well. And then they would play a Thursday night game or two at the end of the year. And then at one point it was just like, oh yeah, now we're playing every single Thursday night. And it was like a huge deal and everybody talked about injuries and da 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 and this and that. The NFL owners just put their heads down, didn't deal with the criticism, didn't respond, didn't react. And now everybody plays on Thursday. And I, I could tell you, a lot of teams actually like it. Because it's like a second bye week. You're done on Thursday. You get Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. Monday, too, because football players generally have Monday off, too. So you don't have to be back to the facility until Tuesday. We added the Thursday night football. We added, by the way, and I've talked about this many times on the show, the NFL has just taken over Christmas Day. Used to be the NBA's day. NFL in 2020, we didn't know if the uh, NBA was going to start by Christmas. The NFL just said, we're going to dip our toe in. 20 million viewers watch Saints Vikings. Now they basically have a triple header every every single uh, year on, on Christmas Day. The NBA is irrelevant, okay? Um, Saturdays late in the season. It's worth noting, by the way, the college football playoff, when it starts in mid-December next year, the NFL is not moving off those Saturdays, and the college football playoff actually is reworking its schedule to work around those NFL games. Now, I don't think the uh, college football should back down from anybody, especially their postseason. But they basically said, we ain't messing with the NFL on Saturdays. So late season Saturdays, Thursday nights, Sunday night, Monday night, Sunday all day, Monday Monday night. We had our first, uh, what, Black Friday game this, this year. It is insane, the reach. Now we're going to have a game on that first Friday in Brazil. I'm fascinated. We're, we're headed towards a world in the not-too-distant future. I think we're just going to have NFL football every freaking day. I mean, we're basically there already. We already have it four days a week, Thursday, uh, Sat- Sunday, Monday. I guess that's three. Uh, and then sometimes Saturdays. I don't think we're that far from having NFL uh, football on other days. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aerator Sports Podcast. I uh, hope you liked the last call. Thought it was fun, thought it was different. Hopefully, uh, we'll keep that thing going, uh, and I'll get better at it as time goes. If you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. I will be back on Friday with plenty more for you. Fun show. Be back Friday. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, UF at Unblock Me, bro. I'll be back on Friday. New Air Tours.